0: speaking and uh, is that a blessing or or is that um, have you missed me yeah you've missed me yeah yeah well at least one thank you I'll pay you later so we'll start today with a test and and John Calpethway is excluded from this test anyone know what one of these is uh, it would be very useful in church. No, it's not a part tester. Similar for your car. Yeah, yeah. Do you know when we were in Scotland? Um, the, when we were in Scotland, we um, had an engine warning light come on, on on the on the Kia, and this this white light came on, and I thought, oh dear. And um, I looked it in the, in the manual, and and the manual said, well, you should get it checked as soon as possible, which is not useful when you've got a caravan. And you're at Loch Ernard and it rains every day. So I thought, well, we'll see how we go. And we did a lot of miles while we were in Scotland. And every time we turned the engine on, despite my prayers, despite my laying hand over hands on the dashboard, and believing with everything that I had, this little white light came on. And so when I read in the manual, uh, do not drive when it starts to flash. And we abandoned the holiday because it just rained out. And so we're driving back and it was teeming down with rain. And we're on the motorway, six lanes of traffic, Kay's driving, and the, the, you could barely see. And guess what happened? Do you want a word of knowledge? This blinking light starts to flash. And she said, I'll have to pull up. I said, there's no way we're stopping on the M1 when anyone can hardly see. I said, you know, if it wrecks the car, we're getting off at the next junction, carry on. And so we had a a text message from Dawn, and um, quite funny, really, quite humorous. She was just asking how the holiday was, and she'd just put Joshua to bed, and Joshua, bless him, had said, drive, pray. Strange thing for a little lad to to do. So I text back and say, that's a word of knowledge, please pray, we've got this engine warning light flashing away. Anyway, it stopped. It came back to steady again and I just said to Kay, well, I'll carry on and we'll see where we go. Once I got near Doncaster, I said, I know the junctions, we can get off if necessary. And we we're in the breakdown service, so, you know, we would get home that night. But, I got my trusty, uh, bit of kit, which actually I had left here. Well, actually, Catherine had stolen it. She might have a different version. But, <laughs> Catherine had it, and, and, um, she put it in the office, so the, the, I come in, I get this, and I turn the light off, and it works brilliant. And you've just saved, like, 30 quid going to one of these diagnostic testers. Do you know the problem is? It doesn't solve the problem. Every time I turn the engine off and then turn it on, I have to clear the fault again. I can drive the car, right? I haven't fixed the problem. All I've done is I've removed the warning light. And then it struck me how... Like life that that actually is you know we're going through life and everything's going really well and then something happens and when it's going well it's when we really sometimes leave God out the equation and then when the wheels come off or the engine warning light or life's not working how we want it to how often we turn to the word of God and then we get stuck into the word of God I've seen it many times. I've experienced it once or twice in my own life. Uh, you know, we, we seem to get sorted, but we haven't really been sorted. I don't want to take the car into the garage. Do you know why I don't want to take the car to the garage? Money. Who, who, who said that? There we go. Absol- I know it's going to be painful. I absolutely know it's going to be painful when I take the car in, because he's going to fix it. This is not fixing it, but it's getting me work- by, and I don't cost anything. And it's like that with the Word of God. You know, if we will yield to the Word of God, and we're going to see this today, and I don't believe that anyone in this room, when I put myself first, is obedient to the Word of God. And how strange that is. This is the, I think, the most difficult passage probably in the Bible that we're going to look at today. And I'm getting better Because I can look at my own life and I can look back and say, there's been progression. But it ain't sorted. And yet somehow, somehow, it is supposed to be sorted. We are supposed to be fixed. And that's a scary place. Scary when you're leading a church, or one of the leaders of the church, knowing you're not fixed. Knowing you're not doing... What the word of God says, you you know. Uh, uh, when I was at school, I, I used to uh, mix feelings on sports day. And anyone else, uh, you either love sports day if you were any good. You know, I hated those kids. Yeah, yeah. There's no, I mean, if Matt was here, you he couldn't say that because you just know Matt was great at everything he does. But I had little legs and I couldn't do the high jump. You know, and and you'd get this school report. Could try harder. No, you couldn't. every time I went up to it, it just knocked it off it just wouldn't go as high as it's supposed to go. Well, the word of God sets the bar very high today. It's not a high jump, it's a pole vault and, but it, it, that's the target the target for everyone in this room. so we'll look at the we'll look at the scriptures and we'll, we'll get to the two really main themes of what we're going to look at. If you were here last week, you will have seen Kenny doing part of John chapter thirteen, and it, and Kenny bless him. He washed people's feet last week, and it was a lovely act of a demonstration of service. And then John stole the show, I thought, at the end, and, and leaves left you with this, you know, this thought that actually I wish I thought of doing that. I'm glad Kirsty and I agree on that. Yeah. Anyway, he did think of it. Or prompted by the Spirit. And he came and washed Kenny's feet. And surely that was what was supposed to be happening. And I'm thinking, oh man, will you ever get this out? Come on, get a grip. It's no good after the event, is it? You know, it's, it's been done. I know, yeah. It's very humble of you. Yeah, You're not making me feel any better and you can tell them later. I, I'm speaking today. It's fine. I haven't spoke for three weeks. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, Catherine can wash your feet later, that's fine. <laughs> Let's put the Bible on. Look, we're in John chapter 13, the next five chapters, the next five chapters are basically just him talking to the disciples. The outside world doesn't see what's going to happen here. And If it wasn't for John, we wouldn't have so much of this information. A quarter of John's Gospel takes place in the next five chapters. And the level of teaching just takes on a whole different dimension. It is mind-blowing about what Jesus is going to say to them. He is now just a few hours away from the cross. And he's pouring himself into these people who are not perfect. And that gives me encouragement. Who never become fully perfect. But he's handing over his church. The concept of church to these people. And he's done the same to us today. We are passing through this life. We are his hands and feet. You're it. There is no one in this room, if you are a believer today, who is not included in this. The level of responsibility. There's no hiding place from, from where we're going to go today. No hiding place. Just to recap. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Kenny touched on it last week. Peter had said, you're not going to wash me. And then he'd gone the full hog and said, well, you're going to have to wash all of me then. And you've got to look at the language, what's in here. And in the original language, there are two different words for wash. One is washing a part of your body, and the other is getting a whole bath. That's why the English translation uses bath. And what it is saying is this, look. If you come to Christ and you are forgiven of your sins, there is only one way that can ever happen. You can come to him and be washed in his blood that he shed on the cross. If you have done that, then you are clean. End of story. Once and for all, you belong to him. However, and everyone knows this, however, as we go through this life, You and I sin. You and I mess up. And the illustration here, they don't get it yet, but the illustration here is that we need to come to Christ on a regular basis, and I would suggest daily, actually, and let him wash those sins away. They've been eternally dealt with, but as we go through life, we pick up all this stuff, all this rubbish that we allow into us and sometimes can't even stop happening in us. If you work in... I mean, Gordon what Gordon shared, you know, he doesn't deliberately have to put himself in those situations. It's just rubbish happening outside of your life. And it can batter you. And then you can have all sorts of negative thoughts. You can have sinful thoughts. You can stop reading the Bible. You can stop doing what you know you should be doing. You can stop coming to church. All those things happen, but the solution, the solution is always to come to him. And he said it. Just read the word of God. Get back to what you were doing before. Pick yourself up. Get back in fellowship and start again. Start again. And this is the illustration he says. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. You see, Judas's problem is this. Judas wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a believer. He had been next to Jesus for three and a half years. He had fellowshiped. He'd even been in ministry. If you read the Gospels, Jesus had sent him out. Go and lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's bizarre. A non-believer empowered for ministry. And still, Judas didn't believe. If you want the confirmation, I think it's in chapter 6, when Jesus is already saying, I know who doesn't belong to me. You can come to church all your life. You can read the word of God all your life. And still not make a commitment to be his. Still not say, I want to be your child. Still not repent of your sins and turn and face what he did on the cross. Coming to church doesn't save you. Reading the word of God doesn't save you. His death is what saves us. How sad that you can be that close and that far away. Let me nail my colours to the mast. Judas is in hell. And if you do not put your trust in Christ, you'll be with him. And that ain't a place you want to go to. you know I was at Bible College once and I remember the pastor of a London church and he was already a pastor for many, many years and he got up and he, we had to do a sermon in front of the old blinking Bible College a couple of times and it's very nerve wracking when you've got like hundred and odd theological students tearing your sermon to bits. You might get away with it in church but you can't get away with it there and this pastor gave an altar call in Bible College and I thought that's just weird. And so I tackled him when he kept, when we came back to class. And do you know what he said to me? He said, you don't know who's saved. You don't know who's a Christian. Just because they're at college means nothing. And I thought, you're dead right. You're dead right. I just admired him and I still do this day. Verse 12. So when he's finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place and he says this. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Let me tell you, they don't. They do not understand. They will one day. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And what we've said is, look, this isn't a mandatory sacrament in the church. It's not something we practice like we do communion. It is a demonstration of being humble. It is a demonstration of the body serving each other. And he's going to clarify that now. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. For very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Let me do with verse 16. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. We're ambassadors for Christ. That means wherever we go, we represent him. And think about the enormity of that statement. When you, when you are at home, if you're in a married relationship, it's like having two Jesuses under the roof. One is representing him, and the other one is representing him. If you go to work, you're representing Christ at work. If you go shopping, Jesus is going shopping. You're never off duty. There is never a part of our lives that is not affected by by him, not represented by him. He takes precedent over everything. Isn't it hard? Do you ever feel like you want a day off? We shouldn't, so stop that. (laughs) And then he says this, look. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And that, verse 17. Blessed, if you look at the original language, is happy. Isn't that strange? You'll You'll be happy if you do them. I googled this morning how to be happy. You get millions of hits. And I wanted a video, and and unfortunately, I I, I should have done it a couple of days ago. It's not Graham's fault, but I couldn't get the video. And there there was this guy, and and he's a British guy, looks to be a pretty posh house between me and you. And he has discovered how to be happy. And for 21 quid, he can give you a course. (laughs) No, 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 look, 21 pounds. Right, He can give you a five-day course, a five or seven-day course on how to be happy. Now, some of you might need a longer course. Don't worry. He's covered that as well. For £60, you get a month. And I was going to take the mickey out of the video and do it for a fiver at the end of the service because I can tell you how to be happy. And all I have to do is quote that verse. And then expound the verse. You will be blessed if you do them. So let's just pause and think what's just happened. In an upper room, and he's washed his disciples' feet, what on earth is he asking us to do? Break it down to three things. He's asking us to yield to God. Jesus himself obeyed his Father. So, part one, if you want to be happy, look, I'll throw the fibre out the window, this is free of charge. Because I love you. Some of you. I'm working on the others. <laughs> that was a joke. Yield to God. What does God say that I should be doing? Number two is this, when you mess up, the Christian ease is this, look, keep short accounts. Remember to come to him on a daily basis. Remember to come before your saviour, confess your sins today. Because 1 John 1, nine says this, look, when we mess up, we have a saviour who is ready to forgive us. And that restores this fellowship. That restores our relationship with Christ. Here, today. And the third thing, which is what he's just demonstrated, which they don't see yet, is serve each other. Serve each other. If you don't do those three things, then I'll give you the website of this other guy, and you can try his method, and you can throw you can throw the money at it. It will not work. It will fill a void for a few weeks, and then actually... You're back to where you are. The world is screaming out for people to be happy. And it's the answers there. Does that mean that you will never have a problem ever again? Poppycock. You'll have loads of problems because in this world you know persecution. In this world you will know trials and tribulations. But somehow you can have contentment while you go through this stuff. If we will do life his way. And that, you know what? If I stopped the sermon there, that would be enough. There's enough meat in that alone. And we're just starting. Isn't that great news for you? I know what's coming. I'm really excited. I get excited when I'm in a way. So here we go, look. Verse 18. I'm not referring to you all. I know those I've chosen. But this is to fulfil this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Well, we know the end, don't we? We know it's Judas. And the, the passage is quoting is from Psalm 41, verse 9. And we believe that that psalm is written by David. And David is, is writing about a man called hathinople Hathenopal. A-T-O... Anyway, you can look him up. He's in 2 Samuel. I can't even pronounce these names. hathinople was, was David's counsellor, his closest friend... David had a group of people around him and, and there's white wisdom in having team building and, and asking for direction and Athenopel betrays David. And in the end, he goes away and hangs himself. And isn't that appropriate because Judas hangs himself following this event. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 15, 16 and 17. It's a great story and a great, a great, if anybody wants a sermon, you can see why he does what he does. Do you know when you've been betrayed by your closest friends? I have been betrayed. Do you know it hurts? It hurts so deeply. So very deeply. David knew it. Jesus knew it. So th- hear this. You will know it. If you haven't had it, it's probably coming. Verse 19, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you believe that I am who I am. And there's his word again, the statement, I am. In other words, I am God. It's his divine, or his claim to divinity. And now we get interested. Verse 20, very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. This is your ambassador role. And after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. He says that to the room. And I want you to picture the table. Leonardo da Vinci's picture, where he has the disciples and Jesus sat around a table, is wrong. That never happened that way. It's a great picture and there's plenty on the internet and you can buy the prints and everything but that's not how they did this you have to imagine a table in the shape of a u so it would probably be three tables together and the tables are low down like this and if you look you'll find that they lay with their head to the table supporting their weight on their left arm and they eat with their right hand how do we know this well there are a couple of other passages if you can look in Luke, where you see that the sinful woman comes in when when Jesus is eating at Simon the Pharisee's house, and she pours nard, perfume, onto his feet. In other words, his feet are away from the table. And then we have that classic passage in John chapter 12, where Mary herself does the same thing. She pours it. The sinful woman dries his feet with her hair. There is nowhere on earth those feet are under the table. So... Picture this. Jesus is the host. He is the head. So at the top of that U, that's where Jesus is. And we'll find out where at least two of the other disciples are. He says that to the room. We know in Luke that they're still arguing who's going to be the greatest. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. They don't know Judas is the traitor. He didn't walk around with it stamped on his head. He'd experienced all the same things that they'd experienced. I believe, had they known it was Judas, he would never have left that room alive. I believe they would have killed him. Isn't that what Peter tries to do? Peter the fisherman gets his sword to lop off her head and chops an ear off instead. That was light-hearted. But there we go. They don't know it's Judas. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Ah, position number one. The disciple whom Jesus loved is generally believed to be who? John. The very writer of the book, the writer of the Gospel, He's so humble, and then a little bit tongue-in-cheek as well, because Jesus loved them all, including Judas. He's reclining next to him. To his right, by the way, because now he's going to lean back on his breast. You know, when when Kay comes home from work sometimes, and she's had a, a really bad day. Chris knows what this can be like in Tesco. You can have bad days in Tesco, and she gets on the sofa to my left, and we have one of these where you push the feet out buttons, and and her favourite position is she gets her head on my chest and she pushes into my chest, and suddenly the world seems a better place. I love it because I'm the man, uh, and I put my arm around and give her a bit of scripture, you know, then ask her to cook tea really, but. <laughs> It's a system it works for us look it works <laughs> no that was a joke <laughs> <laughs> Dear. never mind okay but uh, what I'm saying is it's a real intimate contact isn't it when when the one you love you can push your head onto it onto the chest you're in a safe place you just there. and for him to do that he must have been. To Jesus' right. Which is a guest of honour. You don't get that. Well, if he's leaning on his left, his left, Jesus' is on his left, John will be on his left, and so as he's leaning back onto his breast, it must be that way, the side of him. No. If he's on his left side, he's leaning away. I'll draw a picture for you. It's fine. <laughs> yeah okay his disciples stared at one another right okay good okay (laughs) let the tape and the internet know that john and i have just agreed and today's date is (laughs) good okay (laughs) nothing simon peter motioned to this disciple and said ask him which one he means you can imagine this now peter must be further down the table We know John's probably the youngest disciple and there must be a bit of sign language going on. Ask him. Go on. You ask him who it is. So he does. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Who's actually going to betray you? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. What a great picture. The likelihood is actually Judas is next to Jesus. And the one to his left is actually the highest seat of honour. You can't very well reach right down the table and pass him it. it. When the host gives you food by hand in that custom... Everyone around the table knows that you're actually honouring someone. Fascinating Jewish customs. I believe he's right next to him. One last chance, Judas. One last chance. Will you not do what I know you're going to do? And some of you will say, well, what would have happened if Judas had not betrayed him? And that's not a question we find from the text. It's not a question I can answer Because we know Judas did betray him. But I don't believe for a moment that Judas didn't have a choice. Judas did have a choice. You and I have a choice. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And so Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. What you are about to do, do quickly. At that moment, I think it's the end for Judas. There is no going back now. Right up until that moment, the light of the world could have shone into his heart. But he chose not to let it. I know Jesus loved him. He's told as he loved him. And do you know what one of the passages I used to struggle with in the Bible, you're familiar with the 1 Corinthians 13 passage? And it ends in this. It says, Love never fails. Have ever read that? We're going to look at it today. Well, when my marriage broke up, I I claimed that passage. You know, I have been on my knees. Telling the devil, love never fails. Banging my Bible. Look, it says in the word of God, love will never fail. And it did. She ran off with another guy. And how do you reconcile that with with the word of God? Hang on a minute. God, you told me that actually love never fails. I loved Wendy. Without a doubt. Every fibre of my body. Loved her. And love failed. And then when I remember this passage, I understand it this way. Love received will never fail. Love received will never fail. But you can give love to anyone and if they will not receive it, it's not going to work. Because no one loved him more than him. Isn't that scary? Right next to Jesus. Had your feet washed. Fed by the very hand of Christ, and you decide to betray him. I wonder what that felt like for Christ. What what that must have done to his heart inside. What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. They don't know. They still don't know he's the one that's going to betray him. Move it on, Graham. And since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And it was I like I missed the word off. Does anyone know what it was? It was night. And Judas's heart is dark as well. It was night. And we're going to go on for the next several weeks in this intimate conversation with Jesus and find out what was said by the 11 true believers around him now. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glory him at once. All about glory. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I now tell you where I am going, you cannot come. I'll start there next week, but I don't want to do it th- just at the moment. I want to finish with this next, next few bits. Move it on, Graham. Okay. This is the hinge, the most difficult passage, I think, in the Bible. Does that surprise anyone? A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must. And it's a double negative. You must, must love one another. Does anyone find that easy? Good lad. Yeah, well we'll, st- we'll start. We'll start with breaking it down. If we can do this, this is a promise. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, you could write, if you don't love one another, the world will not know you're his disciples. See why I said to you earlier on that actually, it's not a little high jump, this is a polvo. This is the bar set by him. So let's look at how He loved them. And I broke it down to four things. First one, and I want you to think not just of him, I want you to think of everyone in this room and those that are away sick and those that are away on holiday. There is no one getting off the hook here. If you are alive and a believer, this is written for you. Do we agree? It's in the word of God, right? Jesus said this, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So how did Jesus love them? First and foremost, he loved them selflessly. He does that as well, Darren, but let me go through them. There are four stages that he does it. Jesus loved them selflessly. When you love someone selflessly, you don't expect anything in return. That's hard, isn't it? Yeah, that really is hard. No escape, everyone under the same rule. Answer me the question, you don't need to tell me, answer it in your heart, does that apply to you today? Do you love everyone, the other disciples, the other believers, selflessly? It gets worse because it actually means not just the other disciples, it means the world. Alright, let's, let's go easy. Then the married one's in the room. Do you love your spouse selflessly? Do you actually pour yourself into your spouse so that actually you don't expect anything back? I've got the greatest spouse in the world, look. I mean, she's easy to love. She's not a great patient. Right? But that's a different breach. But she's a great wife. What if you haven't got a great wife? And you're supposed to love her selflessly. What if someone's been a paint here and you've got to love them selflessly? Alright, let's look at the second thing that Jesus did. Jesus loved his people sacrificially. Sacrificially. How does he demonstrate it? Well of course it's a cross. Nothing, absolutely nothing was too much trouble. He gave himself. Wow. Do you love your closest sacrificially? Selfishly and sacrificially? Do you love those you don't like that way? You see how high this is, don't you? He gets worse. Sometimes I wish things weren't written in the Bible. Jesus loved the people understandably. He understood the people. Do you know... Sometimes, I've heard it said love is blind. Well, that's a dangerous place to be because one day your eyes are opened and you find the person that you thought was perfect isn't perfect anymore. So don't love people with blind love. That's not what this is about. Actually, look at the person and know all the faults that that person has and make a choice and a decision to love them. That's what he did. He knows all their faults. He knows the mistakes they've been doing. He knows the flaws in their character. They're still arguing around the table. On the, and he's only got a few hours left on earth and they're bothered out who's going to be the number one dog in heaven. He didn't wait for them to be perfect before he loved them. He loved them with understanding. And you know what? Sometimes in church, we're not good at that. Sometimes what we can say is, when that person sorted out, I'll be able to love them. Well, even a person may never get sorted out. And you've still got to come back to this passage and love them anyway. And if we don't hear this, then you and I are sinning. You and I are sinning. And the fourth thing that I see is this, look. He loved them forgivingly. He forgave them. I don't want to harp on about Wendy, but do you know one of the things that... I remember a conversation we had. We were driving back from Uppingham and she listed all my mistakes. I mean, it's only like three miles to the farm and she was talking fast. <laughs> she didn't get through them all, no. She told me things that I'd done that i got no idea I'd done. Like, because they weren't important. They were like years ago and she dragged this stuff up. and And... Oh, the venom in the car was just, you did this, you promised that, you did this. Not all the good stuff that had happened, right? And when we hold on to something, we become bitter. You and I can become vessels of bitterness. And that bitterness is like an acid. And it bursts out one day. And you and I are not supposed to be like that. Wendy was a Christian. And and the thing is, when, when we hold unforgiveness. Do you know what that gives us? It makes us feel that we have a right. I have a right now to feel aggrieved because of this. Actually, we don't. I don't write it, look. I'd have written it different. If that person annoys you, tell them to get lost. But he didn't like that. He said, love them. Isn't that hard? Isn't that really, really difficult? But it's the only way. Selfless, sacrificial, understanding and forgiving. And then if we can be that church, and hear this, we're not that church. We are not that church. But it's the only way that those outside will know we are his disciples. Because the world outside looks at us a bit strange and says, actually, no, what have you got to offer? Or else we'd be packed. We'd need a bigger building if we were doing this. You know the first time that, that the word Christian, do you know what the word Christian means, by the way? Christ-like. And it's given in Acts at uh, Antioch when people could say this. Those people are like Jesus. They are Christ-like. Do you know what the mistranslation, the error they made is this. And the error that we forget also is this. They haven't been with Jesus in Acts. He's still with them. And there's a world of difference. Because the next few chapters that he goes on to is this. He tells us how we can do that. He tells us how actually this is attainable. He doesn't leave us, help us and say, that's the bar. If you've got little legs, you're going to struggle to get over it. He says, that's the bar. And I'm going to send the Spirit of God into you. So that you can get over that bar. And I really believe we can do it. I know we're not doing it. This came out at the the last vision meeting that the leaders of the church had. And we're embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. So my role is going to change next month. We'll communicate that. I'm I'm going to do far more teaching than I've ever done. To get this to work. Because it's important Darren. It's important because the world needs to see Jesus in you. Because in four years time I'll leave this church. Yes. In four years time I'll leave this church and it better be better than it is today. Else the church will implode. No, there will be a church because we'll do it properly. And because if we can get the body loving itself, it won't depend on a particular individual or any individual. And it does at the moment too much. We'll finish with this. We'll return to it maybe next week. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There is no second clause on that. That is the only way... And I want this church to be full of people who love each other. Do you want it? Do you want it? Okay, I'll pray. Father.